All right, Genesis chapter 4, if you are not there, first book of the Bible, fourth chapter. We are plodding right along here in the book of Genesis, this series here called In the Beginning. And I want to go ahead and read the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says, And Adam knew his Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. And from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Tonight I'd like to talk about this, the root of all conflict. And let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, guide me tonight as I speak your word. And I pray that you just use this time in a very special way. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, uh, we found that all the good that God had created had now become marred by sin. The beginning of chapter 3 was the introduction of Satan and his business of tempting mankind to actually live independent of God. The latter half of chapter 3 was the curse being pronounced on those three creatures in particular, Satan, the serpent, Adam, and Eve. And now we come to chapter number 4, and we're not really sure how much time has passed from the end of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4. The Bible doesn't really seem to indicate, but we can't imagine that it would be that long of a period of time. But there probably had to be at least 20 or so years that passed in verse number 2, because when we get to verse number 2, it seems to indicate now we've got two brothers that are in adulthood and they're working their particular jobs, their livelihood. But I want you to note something, and that is that there's a major shift that happens, and we see the consequences of sin in a major way. In this chapter, we read of a man who chooses to go against God's prescribed way, and as he does so, 
he actually finds himself displeased with the consequence. The feeling that he has leads to another sin, which brings about catastrophe and produces another beginning in this series, the beginning of conflict. So let's take out these first 15 verses here. In fact, I'm going to spend more time on the first several verses. We'll jump in a little bit more in the latter verses here uh, next time. But I want to discover what God desires for us to know about this particular area and how to deal with it. The first point I want to give to you in this message is that there's the birth of children in this sinful world. So before we ever start talking about conflict, we come into verse 1, and it just seems like a little subtle transition into this time that there's just this passing of life. Adam and Eve have moved on, and without even stating it, they're fulfilling the command that God gave to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, of being fruitful and multiplying. And so here it is. Two children are born to them, one Cain, the second one Abel. And though the Bible does not state it, it is not unreasonable to think that Cain was born probably within a year after Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden, and it's very possible that Abel was born a year after Cain. Now, I could be totally wrong about that because when you read about Seth, the next child that is listed being born, that's about 129 years uh, old when Adam was 129 years old. So did they have Cain and Abel right away and then wait for Seth? Or did they have children maybe well over 100 years later? Not sure. I tend to think that they had children right away. And so here it is shortly after this particular time. But as we read this passage of Scripture, notice that Cain becomes the predominant figure, and there's not one single word that is mentioned from the mouth of Abel. Now, the Bible tells us in this passage, and a couple of other places, it says that there's the the voice of the blood of Abel that is crying out, if you will, but not one word from the mouth of Abel while he's living is given to us. Doesn't mean he didn't speak at all, but the Bible does not record it. But it's quite interesting to note Adam and Eve's assessment of their children when they were born and the assessment of life. For instance, the name Cain, it means acquired of the Lord. Because notice in verse number 2, or verse number 1, she said, she bare Cain and she said, I've gotten or I've acquired a man from the Lord. Now, it could be that Adam and Eve thought that when Cain was born, this is the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Remember, chapter 3, verse 15, here it is, God tells them that there's going to be one that is born of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent, but that child's not named. It's not told to Adam and Eve when that child would come. So certainly Adam and Eve, I'm quite sure, they thought to themselves, all right, this is the one. This is the one that's going to be born that is actually going to crush the head of Satan. But I'm telling you what, she soon found out that that child was not the one. Consider the fact that when Abel was born, Adam and Eve probably started figuring out, yeah, we're living in a sinful world. 
That baby who we thought was going to be the answer is actually a baby with a sinful nature. That baby cries because it's selfish. That baby, you know, starts showing some tendencies here of this nature here. And it's very interesting because when they name Abel, the second child, the name Abel literally means breath or vapor. And I believe that in naming Abel in this way, it is a reminder to Adam and Eve of the emptiness that is found in this sinful world. And so a few months after Cain being born, Adam and Eve recognized the sinful nature of their little one. But now we come to this chapter and we find here people who are born in sin. Now let's think about this for just a moment. Adam and Eve were created and they were created in an innocent state, they chose to sin. But now we have Cain and Abel who are born in sin and choose to sin. Think with me of those two factors for just a moment. We believe, in fact, if you read our, if you read our doctrinal statement of our bylaws, we believe this very wholeheartedly about the sin nature of man, that man is born a sinner and man chooses to sin. That is, man is a sinner by nature, and he's a sinner by choice. He's a sinner by nature because Romans chapter 5, verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Who's that one man? Adam. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Think with me about what David said in Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I know that you might have been the apple of your mother's eye. I know that you might think to yourself, well, man, I was just a cute little baby. I was a little pudgy, little, little soft little baby. But I'm just telling you, you were born in sin. Those two verses make it very clear. But not only are we born sinners, but we choose to sin. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, If they sin against thee, and then in parentheses he says, For there is no man that sinneth not. Ecclesiastes seven twenty, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. What are those two verses and others telling us in the Scriptures is that people choose to sin. I have a lot of people tell me, all right, yeah, I was, I was born a sinner. I was born with a sin nature. But you know what? I've lived a pretty good life. I want to tell you something. All of us in this room, every person under the sound of my voice, is a sinner by nature and by choice. And these two kids, very interesting, born into the same household. They're born in the same household. They have the same parents, the same environment. And it's important to note that these two kids with the same environment, same parents, and the same sin nature, but they chose different routes. You know, we're living in a day when people want to blame society, don't we? Well, you just don't understand my situation. You don't understand my upbringing. You don't understand what I've been through. I want to tell you something. Both Cain and Abel were depraved in their nature, but Cain decided he wanted to go this direction, and Abel, as Jesus made mention in the book of Matthew, Abel was a righteous prophet of God. Think about that. Environment does not make or break a person. I remember when I was a student at Bob Jones, 
When I was there in the late 80s and early 90s, I was there as a Christian university, and it was pretty amazing. We had a lot of people coming from Christian schools. When the Christian school movement first started in the 60s and going through the 70s, people who started Christian schools thought, all right, we're going to be raising up super Christians now. We're going to have these kids that are educated five days a week, eight hours a day in school, and boy, they're going to be given the Bible, they're going to be saturated with the Word of God, and we're going to have this generation of people that are going to go off for God. But I'm telling you what, there was a lot of superficial Christians in Christianity. And I found when I was at Bob Jones University, you know who were some of the best students that were there? They came from public schools. They were the students that got saved out of, rough, out of a rough background. They were the students that had gotten saved and had a, a tough upbringing. But you know what? They got into the book and they trusted the Lord and they depended on Him wholly. I'm not saying that Christian school students, all of them were bad. And I'm not saying all the public school students were some of the best. But I tell you, there was an exception to the rule. But I'm here to remind you of something. Environment does not make or break a person. You might look at a child, a child that's coming to our Sunday school program or coming to our kids program in some way, and you might say, boy, that's a tough situation. And I understand you have sympathy and you have a, a, a care and concern for that. But don't discount what God can do. God can take a child that is in a tough, rough environment and bring them out of that and use them for His glory. And you know what it all comes back to? It's a choice. It's a choice that you make. All of us have things that are against us. But it is a decision that you make, regardless of what's around you, that I am going to serve God. So the first thing we see is the birth of these two children into a sinful world. But second thing I want you to see is the relationship now of these sinners to a holy God. Let's look at the relationship now as it is expounded here of Cain and Abel, their relationship with God. Now please notice as we move right along in this story that each of these young men, and again, I have to surmise that they were young men. They could have been much older, but I'm guessing maybe in their 20s, they had different occupations. Now, the Bible doesn't share the different occupations to say, well, Abel had the better occupation than Cain did. That's not the gist of the story here. Both of them were noble op occupations. Each of them had their gifts and made a living based on what they were taught and knew and had developed. So really, both of them contributed to their general household in a great way. One provided food, the other provided clothing. So think about it. Both, both of these are, are young men developing their skills and using them for the good of their family. But I want you to notice now that these young men aren't just working their jobs, but they have this relationship with God, and the Bible indicates that they bring an offering unto the Lord. And I really believe as we look at these couple of verses and as we look at other passages of Scripture in the, in the Bible, that we can begin to piece some things together to have an understanding of what's going on here. The Bible does not say a whole lot about this offering. In fact, it doesn't say anything about Adam and Eve doing that after they left the garden, but now it says about Cain and Abel. And I have to imagine here, as I look at verse number 3, I want you to notice this phrase as we put some of these pieces together. Look at this. It says, and in process of time. 
Now, it would not hurt us to say it this way. At the end of the days. In other words, it could be translated, the Hebrew wording would allow us to say, at the end of the days, or in other words, on a regular basis. Whatever that would may be, it might have been once a year. Once every six months. God would meet with His people, specifically here, Cain and Abel, via an offering that they would bring. Now, if you recall, there would be a holy God who met with Adam and Eve in their innocent state. Remember the Bible talks about in the cool of the day, God would come down there in the garden and would walk with them and would fellowship and spend time with them. But now that Adam and Eve and their descendants are sinners, God would still meet with them, but now it was on the condition of faith. In other words, God established here that our worship of Him was based on some conditions and would be based on the fact that I had faith in God's prescribed way. What was that? Well, when you look back at the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, Adam and Eve had sinned, and all of a sudden, right off the bat, they knew there was a problem. And they initiated covering their sin. They took leaves, and they covered their bodies. God said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way to cover yourself. That's not the way to take care of this sin problem. And God had an innocent animal slain, the blood that was shed, and that skin of that animal was provided as a covering for both Adam and Eve. What was God showing as an example here? That blood had to be shed in order to have this relationship with Him. It seems fair to surmise that every so often, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, would meet with God with a proper sacrifice. And so I would gather here that this had been going on for a period of time, both Adam and Eve, both Cain and Abel, bringing of a sacrifice of an animal that had been slain, the blood had been shed, And that was all of a series here to show their faith in God. Because I want you to put something else together. Let's grab a New Testament commentary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. The Bible says, in fact, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And as it lists all these people, by faith this one did this, by faith this one, by faith this one. Well, the first one that is listed is Abel, and it says, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, what was the faith about? What was the faith in? Well, we know the Bible tells us, in fact, two verses later in Hebrews 11, that without faith it is impossible to please Him, that is to please God. And it also says that by faith, faith actually comes by the hearing and hearing of the Word of God. Now, again, reading, if you will, here in the Scriptures and really putting some pieces together, if Abel offered a sacrifice by faith, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God, then God had given His Word to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and said, this is the sacrifice. So what does Abel do? offers every time that they meet together that particular sacrifice that is 
bringing to God, and Cain, in this particular instance, does not bring a sacrifice by faith. I believe, living at this time, they knew what God expected of His people in order to meet with Him. It was an act of faith, and it was the ultimate perfect sacrifice. Their their faith was in the fact that God eventually was going to provide a perfect sacrifice, and that would be His Son, Jesus Christ. And you say, well, preacher, how do you know that they were offering all these things? Well, even though the law had not been codified, I want you to understand something. Moses here provided the law, and for the Israelites, here's how you do the sacrifices. Here's what type of animal to bring. Here's when to do it. Here's the various ceremonies. But I want to tell you something. Before the law ever got written down, you had patriarchs offerings, bringing offerings to God. We'll look here in a few chapters later. Noah, when he steps off the ark, guess what Noah did? Offered an offering as worship to the Lord. And so these things are being done here, and it's important. Now, let's look at something else here about these offerings here. And we notice here that one offering was accepted. That's verse number four, Abel's offering. And one offering was not accepted, verse number five, that was Cain's offering. What was the difference? Well, I've already alluded to it. The difference in the offerings was this. Here Cain's bringing of the fruit of the ground. Here's Abel bringing of the flock. And the difference was this. The substitutionary shedding of innocent blood. Abel's reflected that. Cain's offering did not. Now, of course it happened to be that Abel was a shepherd. But that's not the crux of the matter. Abel, the Bible says, had faith in God. Cain decided he would come to God on his terms, in his way, and he did not have faith in God's way. And I must say to you tonight that Cain decided this aspect of coming to God in his way, and he basically came with, if you will, pride in his offering. He thought, well, this is is the fruit of the ground here. I've worked hard and labored hard for this fruit, and I'm going to offer this to God. And again, there was a way of Cain honoring himself, looking at him as the giver of the offering, and not understanding that worship was not about him, it was about God. And that's the problem with people today. People come to God on their terms. They say, well, this is the way I'm saved. I'm saved because I'm baptized. I'm saved because I do good works. I'm saved because of this. Or people think various other things. But I want to tell you something. Only God establishes the way that people are saved. Sinners are going to have a relationship with God. They must come to God in the way that He has been prescribed. So many people are worshiping today. You say, well, preacher, there's a lot of people that aren't following the way like we are, but they're out there, they're worshiping. I want to tell you something. You look back at the passage that I referenced this morning in Romans chapter 3, where the Bible says that there is none that seeketh after God. Some people say, well, look, there's, there's these denominational churches and there's these world religions that are worshiping. I want to tell you something. They may be worshiping, but they're not worshiping the God of heaven. God says that it is Jesus that is to be worshipped, it is Jesus that is to be lifted up, and all of these other religions and all these other things that are worshipping are coming in their own way. 
And they may think to themselves they're seeking after God, but God has said they don't seek after me. They're coming in their own way. And I want to tell you something, when it comes to salvation, there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus made it so simple. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so when Jesus said that, how interesting it is to think through how people have tried to come to God. It all started with Cain. Cain decided, I'm not all about this blood business. I'm not all about this animal stuff. Look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fruits and vegetable guy. I'm going to go ahead and bring what I want to bring to God. But it wasn't God's prescribed way. He did not come with faith. So now I want you to notice here, now as we move further in the story, let's notice here the reaction to broken fellowship with God. What's the reaction here to this broken fellowship? Because unto Abel, God had respect. In other words, the idea is that God looked on Abel's sacrifice and was pleased with it, and God didn't even look at Cain's sacrifice. Well, notice here, what does the Bible tell us about Cain? The Bible says that Cain, in verse number 5 at the end, was very wroth. He was very, very upset. He was boiling mad. I mean, he let his feelings get in the way. This anger was a defensive type of anger. This anger was a justified I can't believe God's not going to accept this. I mean, look at how beautiful this fruit looks. Doesn't anybody know how long I've worked at this? Doesn't anybody know how long I've taken to prepare and I've arranged everything just so perfectly and I've brought it to God out of a sincere heart? And when God had no respect to that offering, the Bible says that Cain was very upset. And it was an anger that caused Cain to be wrapped up in himself and his pride. I tell you what, if you ever want to study about anger, just go through the Bible. There are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of references about anger. Listen to this in Proverbs 19, verse 3. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. When a man decides to go his direction and follow his prescribed way instead of God's way, God considers that foolishness. And when he finds out that he's not going God's way and that God's not pleased with him, there is a fretting and an anger that is internal in that person. And I'm quite sure that this anger that Cain had was directed at his brother, was directed at God. But I love how God interacts with him. Notice here. God asks a question. Look at this in verse 6. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Now just like the questions that God asked Adam early on, Adam, where are you? It's not that God was saying, Oh, Adam, I don't know where you are. No, no. In that instance, as well as this instance right here, God's not asking a question so He can gain information. God is asking a question to provoke thought of the one He's asking the question of. Cain, 
Why are you angry? Let's think about this for just a moment. Think about what's just happened. Think about why I have not accepted this particular offering. And really, if, if Cain could have and would have retraced his steps, he would see that his anger was unjustified and it was misplaced. Because really, God had given simple instructions. But I love God's coming to him because here's what we see in this passage of Scripture is we see the holiness of God and the very mercy of God all wrapped in together. You say, how so? Well, God's recognizing, first of all, that what Cain did was wrong. That's the holiness of God. But God is also giving Cain an opportunity to actually deal with it properly. That's God's mercy. How amazing it is. And don't get into this notion, well, God's just a big bully in the Old Testament. and He just hates people, and He just really judges sin. I want to tell you something. You see the judgment of God in the New Testament and the love of God. And you see in the Old Testament the judgment of God and the love of God. God is consistent all the way through. Don't ever get this idea that God is just, He's all uh, love and peaches in the New Testament, and He's just a mean ogre in the Old Testament. That's not the case. God here is showing mercy to Cain. Notice what He says to Cain in verse number 7. Look at these words. Hey, Cain, if you do well, shall you not be accepted? What's He saying here? Cain, the reason you're upset is because you brought the wrong offering. You didn't follow my word. You didn't go by the instructions that I had given to you, and that's why you're upset. So let me just tell you something. Here's how to correct this going forward. Do well, follow my word, and the things will go well with you. But then he says here, if you don't do well, there's going to be a further problem. Because look at these words in verse number 7. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Now, interesting that God says this. God knows the beginning from the end. God knew what was going on in Cain's heart. We know from the New Testament, murder begins in the heart, does it not? We're going to get into this in our Sermon on the Mount series, Matthew chapter 5, where the Bible talks about here how things originate in the heart. It's amazing how the Pharisees and scribes thought to themselves, well, look, I, I fulfilled this commandment. I've never killed anybody. Jesus said, look, if you thought to hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered them. I mean, he basically shows to us where does murder begin? The root of it all is hatred in the heart. And what's going on with Cain right now? All of this anger and wrath is boiling up in his heart. And he's about ready to unleash and do something that's wrong. And God says, hold it, Cain. I'm going to tell you something. If you do well, you're going to be accepted. But if you don't do well, there's something else that is standing there. There's another sin that's about ready to pounce on you. This idea of sin lying at the door, it's like a lion that is right around the corner that's about ready to pounce on its prey. And what God is telling Cain is this. If you don't clear this, if you don't make this right, 
this is going to compound into a bigger problem. And therefore, you're going to do something because you haven't taken care of the first thing. And I love the way somebody put it. The lesson is so very clear. If you rule, to be able to rule over tomorrow's sin, you must rule today's sin. You know what the problem is with most people? They sin, don't take care of it, and then they realize their relationship with God isn't where it ought to be, and all of a sudden now it compounds and they start making decisions on how they feel, their emotions, various other things. Cain did not take care of this initial sin of not being in a right relationship with God, and therefore there was going to be a sin that was going to be in his heart from the anger that would overtake him, and as we see It led to this murder. So let's come to the next point here. The action in not dealing with that broken fellowship. As a result of not dealing with the cause of his anger, Cain decides to take his brother out for a walk. Now, it's very interesting what it says in verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I was thinking this afternoon, what do you think that conversation was all about? Cain talked with his brother. It's possible that Abel said, Hey, Cain, I know what's going on here, but I I got an extra lamb. Would you like one? Make things right with God? It's possible that Cain said to his brother, Hey, look, I want to just tell you something. The religion that you're following is disgusting. It's awful. This is a bloody religion. We, We need to be doing something else. Look at what I'm offering to God. I don't know what the conversation was, but whatever it was, there's something that was brought about here that Cain thought about man's approach by God to God by a sacrifice did not stop him from shedding the blood of his own kind. It's quite amazing, the New Testament commentary on both of these brothers. Jesus called Abel in Matthew 23, 35, a righteous man. Cain is referred to in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, as that wicked one who slew his brother. Wow. Cain had the chance to do what was right. But instead, he followed through, and out of those emotions of the anger and everything, and not being right with God, he came through and he murdered his own brother. Now, as I think about, and I come to some concluding thoughts in this message, I really think about all the conflicts that we're dealing with today in our society really come back to this. People today that are in conflict really are not in a right relationship with God. Everything begins because man is following his way. Man is going his direction. And therefore, out of that lack of fellowship with God, what's happening is we're experiencing all sorts of conflicts. You say, what type of conflicts are we experiencing today? Well, notice, first of all, unjust wars all over. What's an unjust war? It's really a war that is waged because of vindictive hatred or revenge or just simply greed. All of us can go back in our history books to not too long ago 
when Hitler went through and he desired to conquer Europe to have it all for himself. Today, we have a war of Russia invading uh, Ukraine, and since the collapse of the Soviet Empire, Russia has not accepted the identity of Ukraine as a separate nation. Now, regardless of what you think today, how America should be involved, and I'm not talking about that here today, but I want you to realize that since this war began, over 14,000 people have died in the last year and a half. There have been 6 million refugees fleeing Ukraine, and, into, and then there's been 8 million Ukrainians that have been displaced from their home. Why? Because of simple greed. Because of desiring something and not being in the right relationship with God. Another conflict we're facing today, and this hits closer to home in some of our major cities, murder in our communities. To me, it's sad to see what's happening in the streets of America. Sad. But I find interesting that really that's not a new problem because, again, we're going to see here very soon in chapter 6 of Genesis that God begins talking about a point in time where the earth was so corrupt that man had gotten so far away from God that it describes here that the earth was a violent place. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. How corrupt is our society today? How violent is our society today? I'm not sure if I can really make comparison, but the society got so bad in Genesis chapter 6 that God sends a worldwide flood. Wow. That's violence. But today, as I look at what's going on, I see this violence that is happening. And really, it comes to this, whether it be in Genesis chapter 6 prior to the flood, or whether it be today, what is going on is people have shunned God's laws. They've looked upon God's creation as different, and they have no, no inkling, uh, any thought about consideration for other mankind. And they take matters into their own hands. Violence. How amazing how the Scriptures define the times that we live in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, The last days are going to be perilous times. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents. And they lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They basically have gotten away from God. What happened to Cain? Cain got out of this relationship with God and he took matters into his own hands. What's going on in our society? People leaving God, taking matters in their own hand. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 through 14, talks about some different generations of things that are happening. There's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. That's happening today. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. They say to themselves, look, there's nothing wrong with this violence that I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with this wickedness. And they justify it. They're pure in their own eyes. It's a generation today that we're facing. There's a generation, the Bible says, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords, their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. I'm telling you, we live in a day where I look at some of the things that are happening, I'm like, is this America today? Is this a society we're really living in? Well, the book of Proverbs 
Solomon wrote about these things. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Why are they described as such? Because the Bible says they have forsaken the Lord. What else is going on today? What are other, some other conflicts? Well, how about church splits? Let's go ahead and bring it closer to home. Now, I understand sometimes there are churches that split over doctrine, but I want to tell you something. Those splits are far and few between. You know where most of the splits are? People on this side hate these people's side's guts. They want to spit on their grave. They don't care about these people. They, they hate one another, and there's such a division that churches split. And when those type of splits happen, it's not a godly thing. It's not a wonderful, oh, bless God now, we got two churches, in the sun, one, one on either side of town here. No, no, it becomes a problem within the community and people look at that and they say oh if that's what christianity is all about i don't need any of that i want to tell you something that's problematic but that happens because people aren't right with god they've fallen out of their relationship with god and they begin taking matters in their own hands let me give another area and that is family breakups it concerns me to a great degree when I've heard of family who have not talked to each other for a very long time. Now, I understand you might have tried to reach out to certain family members and maybe they have not talked back to you. They've not responded to your letter, to your email, to your text, whatever. You've tried. But I want to tell you something. There's been a lot of family breakups and there's been cousins and distant cousins and uncles and aunts and moms and dads and their children and various other relationships that aren't speaking to one another. And my friend, I want to tell you something. If you're a born-again believer, that ought not to be. There ought to be something where there is harmony. Oh, okay, you may agree to disagree on certain things. You may not be able to get together all the time. But I'm telling you, there ought to be something where there is a reconciliation that is brought together. And many times, many times, those family breakups are due to because there's sin on behalf of certain people. Now, how do we resolve those conflicts? Well, I want to say this. To resolve those conflicts, it's important to bring people once again into a right relationship with God. What could have fixed Cain's problem? Getting back with God in the right way. What will fix our problems in our society today? It's getting the gospel out and getting people rightly related with Jesus Christ. You say, oh, no, 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 pastor. Let me just tell you something. we got to take care of this politically. You're short-sighted. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, we got to take care of this. we got to set some laws about guns, and we got to do this, and the violence in our society, we got to take care of it this way. I want to just tell you something. You get people rightly related with God, and you begin changing the society around you. You see people come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ and begin getting, see their sins get forgiven and come into that relationship. Wow, the whole outlook of that person changes. 
And now they begin influencing those around them. And this person gets saved and has a family and neighbors and other people they influence. And this person gets saved and he has neighbors and family and other people he influences. And this person gets saved and he has neighbors and family and others that he influences. And you want to change our society? You want to see our society come to where it is pure before God? Get the gospel out. Clear that table of tracks out and pass them out. Open your mouth when you're with people and start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Let them know what Jesus has done for you. Let them know the change that can be brought about when Jesus comes into a soul. And I'm telling you, when Jesus saves people, it changes them. Can I ask you a question? When you got saved, did Jesus transform your life? Well, then why is it that we just kind of are ho-hum about sharing the gospel? Why is it we're closed-lipped about sharing the gospel? If we know that the power of God is in the gospel, then why don't we share it? We ought to get out there. I believe that to help all the things that are going on is to come through, get into a right relationship with God. When you get the fundamental issue in life wrong, when your relationship with God is out of order, when your attempt to worship God is not in the right place, you don't have God's favor, then I want you to think through it something. It's probably because you're not coming to God in the right way. Faulty worship affects your relationship with God and breaks that fellowship with Him as it did with Cain. You start finding out that it seems like God is distant from you because you've not approached God in the right way. It begins to lead to anger. That anger then with Cain led to hatred and murder. Then it led to dishonesty and failure to take responsibility in verse number 9. And then it was increased displeasure. And all we found with Cain, as we read, and I'm going to go over next week, is Cain is walking through life realizing that all of this life now is miserable, but if he had only listened to God and made that thing right and got into a relationship with Him, all would have been well. Some of you tonight are having internal conflict because you're not right with God. You say, preacher, I'm here on a Sunday night. Put a star by night in my name. Give me credit for coming at 6 o'clock. I was a little tired this afternoon. Well, God bless your little soul. I'm just going to tell you, I don't care whether you're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, or every night of the week. There are some people that come to church that just don't have that right relationship with God. Get it right. The reason you have conflict with people around you is because of you. Oh, how easy we blame other people. Well, you just don't understand my parents. You don't understand this person in my life. Now, I find a lot of times in counseling, you start getting to the root of things and you find out there's a problem right there. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror.